This is Train to Perform, the undisputed alpha podcast in training, fitness, and sports performance. Here, you'll develop your skills with the cold, hard facts in fitness, sports performance, recovery, and nutrition. Real, tried and true, evidence-based facts that have been proven to move you faster, move you stronger, and move you forward. Now, here's your host of Train to Perform, Julian Sisman. Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Train to Perform podcast. Today, we have Michelle Arndt. Um, She is currently um, working at the University of South Carolina in the public health department, um, working on initiatives to help educate um, and support uh, her local community with, uh, you know, information on, you know, nutrition, how to understand nutrition. Um, but the reason I, uh, reached out to her was because her experience with, uh, college level nutrition, um, and what <clears throat> plan and how she executed to help, um, Rutgers women's soccer, um, you know, perform at a high level, um, and what impact she made on the young girls' lives, um, not only then, but um, for their future. So I hope you guys enjoy this podcast. Um, again, Michelle Arm. Yeah, I've been around female, I'll say athlete, even in the um, physique world, even though I... <laughs> I don't consider those technically athletes because at your performance, you're actually your worst. So you're not. Um, yeah, I know what you and mean. I, I, I get a lot of flack when I say that, but it's one of those, hey, I've been there. I'm allowed to say it. Yeah. Um, you, you're, it's a completely different um, uh, competition side. But um, being in that side, you do get a lot of um, <clears throat> exposure to and with uh, disordered eating and just like the different mentalities when it comes to food and exercise. Um, and because so much of the marketing, uh, and mainstream media is, is kind of geared towards the everyday person slash female, um, the media seems to think that every female is just interested in, how to burn calories and, and, and the like. So then you, you have these female soccer athletes that are exposed to that from the get-go, uh, you know, coming up through the ranks, through their development academies and things like that. And then, um, you know, even though they mean the best, a lot of times coaches don't understand fueling for athletic performance and their experiences also with the mainstream media and like how to get abs thing and not necessarily how to fuel an athlete um, so the information that they're giving the athlete is also not appropriate. Uh, so then what ends up happening is you get to this college level and you have athletes that have had that, you know, beat into their head for years and years and years. So it takes a little um, educational undoing uh, and explaining the bare bones basics of what nutrition is from a standpoint of what is a protein? What is a carbohydrate? What is a fat? What are their jobs? Why are they important? Um, how can they help you in like bare bones um, exercise physiology? So, okay, you're a soccer player. Here's what you're asking your body to do. Here's how we can fuel it the best. And um, I work really hard to try to change the relationship between the person and the food and the exercise. So, yeah, I mean, and <clears throat> that's the thing. I, that's the thing I see. Even it, you're, I mean, you're in the college realm, and it's like, like you said, it's. I see it all the time with young girls, like eat yeah. here. Um, you know, I'm in the DC area where soccer is Big. extremely competitive, um, yeah. and you know, <clears throat> the the idea of like wanting to play D1 college soccer is, you know, it's top of mind. And, um, and I also think that not only is nutrition an issue, um, and this is obviously a whole nother topic. It's like, you know, for these kids to understand that, like, they don't need to, you know, kill themselves every single day. And then, you know, then they build this relationship with food, as you said, like, 
oh, if I like crush myself every day, like I can eat whatever I want or, you know, that's also another issue yeah. uh, on top of like, I'm not going to eat a lot of food because I worked out so I can look like this. So like, yeah. there's so many, yeah. there's so much di- like bad information. Yeah. Um, and it's funny cause like, I'm no, I'm no nutritionist, but like when I try to educate these kids on like eating and what they need to do and, you know, I get responses of like, like what's going on. Like I get responses of like, Oh, I'm like intermittent fasting and I'm training to play soccer. I'm like, Absolutely. What? Absolutely. Uh, or I'm going to be keto and you're like, ah, yeah. yeah. But, but again, it's what it is, is it's the media that they see, but then it's also influence of parents. So parents don't understand. Mm-hmm. So now I've just got parents just don't understand in my head. <laughs> DJ Jazzy Jeff is singing. Um, But, uh, and I really just show my age there. But anyway, no, but they don't understand that kids are not mini adults. Yes. And the parents need to understand that while something that may be appropriate for the parent who wants to eat healthy or do whatever is not appropriate for the soccer athlete. I get that all the time. I've had parents tell me, uh, you know, their son was playing in a tournament, um, a youth youth soccer, high level youth, but he was playing Mm -hmm. in a tournament they wanted him to have a salad in between games. And I'm like, you know what? Hey, that's really cool. Salad is very healthy for you. Not appropriate for what we need him to accomplish in between. Can he have a little salad? Sure. But maybe not make that the, the crux of what he's eating. Yes. He needs a whole lot more nutrition that can get in pretty quickly to help him recover and repair and be ready to go again. And the salad is not going to do that. Mm-hmm. Or I've had people tell me, You know, we talk about Gatorade or some type of sports drink or something. Oh, Gatorade is sugar. I was like, yeah. And so, like, they just, they don't understand because so many things have been demonized in the general, you know, public uh, media side of things for what the average couch sitter needs to do. And somehow that gets applied to what this athlete needs to do. Um, And so it's just, it's, it's really just about, having everyone on board. Um, and whenever I would meet with any of the youth athletes, I will not do it without parents being there. Um, because the parents need to understand the message that they intentionally or unintentionally are sending. And Mm. they also need to be on board because chances are they're the ones that are actually buying the groceries. Um, so they need to be aware of what their athlete needs. Um, and, and, and try to kind of remove the emotional side of it and look at it as an optimal fueling to mitigate injury risk. Right. And, and when you can start to kind of put things together and piece it together that way, a lot of times they are easier to jump on board uh, versus, you know, whatever thing they saw on some mockumentary on TV. So, so, so kind of um, what, like what got you into like what you're doing now? I mean, Wow, that's a great question. Were you, um, did you place, I mean, I, I'm assuming you got, were playing sports at a young age and then. I think I came out of the womb doing something. <laughs> um, I was always, I mean, we would be outside from the moment the sun came up until after it was dark, you know, riding bikes, running, playing, doing all of those things. Um, like, but as a like young, yeah, right. As a, again, showing my age, right. Um, as a young child, I actually played soccer. Um, I played soccer, um, from gosh, second grade to seventh grade. And when I was in seventh grade, we didn't have women's soccer. So it was either you play with the boys or you do something else. So from there I went to uh, cross country, indoor track, outdoor track and things of the like. Um, my passion since earliest remembrance is physical activity and nutrition and how those two kind of impact each other. Um, so I did, I did my undergrad actually in Marine science here at the university of South Carolina. Okay. Um, I wanted to switch. What's that? Where is that where you're from? South Carolina? No, no. I'm originally from Massachusetts. Okay. Yeah. My family, excuse me, my family moved South before, before I graduated high school, I stayed up there, graduated high school and then moved down. Um, Started the program in marine science at University of South Carolina. was top four in the nation when I started. Um, and I wanted to switch to exercise science. 
And back then, you know, my dad said, Joe, you can't make a living doing personal training <laughs> um, because that's all that anybody thought it was. Yeah. And I said, uh. so I got my degree. I had a great time. Um, and then from there, switched to public health because that way I could get into physical activity and nutrition um, as a master's program without having to back up and do two undergrad kind of things, um, which, you know, no harm, no foul. If somebody does that, that's just the approach I decided to take. Mm-hmm. Um, so at the time with public health, I did health promotion and education at the time, there was no track that, uh, that was heavily embedded in say exercise science. Now at university of South Carolina, there actually is, which is fantastic. Um, so I kind of, um, I blazed my own trail that way through the public health uh, realm to be able to work with people um, improving education with physical activity and nutrition. Um, You know, since then, I've I've done a lot of work with ISSN, um, sport nutritionist through through them, um, working on getting back to school actually to do RD things because that helps jump through hoops and a lot of other stuff. but the entire time have been, uh, you know, I competed in physique sport um, for, gosh, a really long time. Uh, <laughs> uh, oh, gosh. 20 years, 18 years, a really long time. Um, like bodybuilding type stuff? Yeah, I did. I started with uh, fitness when fitness first started and then uh, kept going and then through some injuries came back into figure and did figure for a while and, and, you know, it's stuff awesome. like that. Um, and, and that there's a, that gave me a lot of experience in dealing with people that do have disordered eating patterns. Mm-hmm. Um, that was also one of my, I, it sounds odd to say, but one of my most favorite subjects in school was working with folks with eating disorders and uh, obesity. Um, you know, because it's, it's, it's a really deep place. It's never, it's never just about the food. So it's about how to deal with all these other pieces that then is really helpful when you move to the next step and have to have to learn how to look for these, these signs and these flags and be able to deal with all the other pieces when you're working with an athlete, because an athlete is just a regular human, human being. Honestly, um, I spent a lot of time working through personal training, through one-on-one, um, through, uh, doing the director of, of science and education for metabolic precision, who's Paul, you know, Paul Cribb out of, uh, out of Australia. Um, and, and working with a lot of, um, I'll just say general population folks. Um, working with collegiate athletes was never anything that was on my radar. Yeah. Um, because I felt that, and, and this is just, this was my perception at the time. I felt that I could make a bigger impact with general population folks and that perhaps those higher level athletes weren't as interested. Um, I was wrong uh, because like I said, those higher level athletes are human beings. And, you know, when I started working with them, which is another interesting little story, um, I, I realized very quickly that those athletes, while we ask them to perform at a very high level, they don't have the even, even the most basic nutrition knowledge as far as what is a protein, what is a carbohydrate, uh, what is a fat, what do they do and why would I need them? So I was very excited to be able to help them educate themselves so that not only could they perform as an athlete in the collegiate setting, but now when they leave college and they go on to do whatever it is, they have that knowledge to help them in every facet of life. Correct. Yeah, so. that's no, I, t- I totally agree with you. I mean, uh, I mean, I've been playing soccer since forever. <laughs> um, and I, um, you know, again, like I, I've had a numerous, or com- a number of conversations about the new nutritional education that our education system provides to our kids, which is, or students, which is, yeah basically zero. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, like I said before, I'm no nutritionist, but I've educated myself enough on nutrition and things like that. And, and you're right. Like a lot of these kids just don't get it and they just eat what tastes good. And instead of like, you know, 
picking things that are going to fuel them for the demand of the sport. Um, and I think a lot of kids get, uh, misinformed about especially protein and carbs and like, you know, fats, like, you know, with soccer being a very, you know, high intensity sport, like, you know, not, I'm not saying for 90 minutes, but a decent amount of time. I mean, under fueling for carbs, like if you're eating more protein and fat, like you're, you're, you're just asking for like a disaster on the field. Especially in a collegiate setting when you've got like a Thursday, Sunday, Friday, Sunday match schedule. That's ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, I played at Ohio state, so I know um, the, the level it's, you know, uh, and I've played and I've tried out for pro and I know the level and the intensity, the, like, it's no, it's not like there's no timeout. (laughs) Did you guys have a sport nutritionist at Ohio state when you were there? No, it's crazy. Um, so when I was there, um, I mean, I think we did, but like, it was one of those things like you had to, uh, make an appointment, like have the conversation, but what I think changed was, and you, you can, you probably have more information about this than I do. Um, since you've been in the collegiate sports for a while, uh, I think what changed was like, I, I didn't stay at Ohio state all four years. I ended, ended up like, it's a long story anyways. So I think what changed was when the UConn basketball player mentioned something on Twitter, which is crazy that, Hey, like I go to bed hungry, like two, three days later, like NCAA, like totally started providing more food. They provided, and like, I, I had friends that were at Ohio state and they were like, yeah, man, we got like, um, like nutrition, like right after, like we walk out of the locker room, like nutrition. I was like, wow, where was that when I was there? Yeah. <laughs> None of that. Um, but uh, I mean, I was one of those kids that educated myself on all this stuff. So like, I was one of those kids that like, yeah, kind of where I'm at now is yeah, yeah. I put food that I knew that was going to help me in my body. Um, try to tell other kids, but it is what it is. Yeah, yeah. It's you. You'll get you know one or two of kids like that on a team, which which is helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of fell into the collegiate sports setting bass backwards. Um, because Sean had been working with them. He started working with the men's team and then they brought him on for the women's team because of Mm -hmm. all their ACL issues and things like that. Um, And I think it was about seven or eight years total that he had been working with them. Um, But slowly, one year after the next, after the next, they'd make a little more change, a little more change, a little more change. And then one year it was, hey, why don't you guys just come over, talk to Michelle with some nutrition stuff. She can help you out. And so we set up, um, it was just a, a two-time um, sport nutrition, I'll say, presentation that I did for them. Um, and it was a, oh, eye-opening thing. And, yeah. and then it turned into, oh, hey, you know what? She could actually do your strength and conditioning too. And then you would have one person dedicated to one team for strength and conditioning and also sport nutrition. So that opened the door then for the athletes to know I'm available to them whenever they could shoot me a text, ask me some random question, call me up, whatever. We could set up one-on-ones. We also set up a series of different um, like team uh, presentations that I would do for them, especially when the freshmen came in. It was also one of those, hey, you know, dorm room nutrition and this and that and how to make sure that you eat around uh, class time and just tips and tricks and, and really just trying to build rapport with them so that they knew they could come to me with whatever, because prior to that, like I'm sure you experienced, there was a nutritionist, but it was mainly football, mm. right? You got one person for football and then you've got one person who deals with 800 other students. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And it, and that honestly, it doesn't work well. It, it, it can't. And that poor person, I, I don't even want to know the stress that they feel because for me to have 32 people coming to me is kind of a lot, you know, yeah. especially when, when, when you're invested in it and need to give your all to each and every one of those, it takes time to build that connection and, and trust and rapport so that this one person and this one person will start to, uh, you know, give a little bit more buy-in to what you're trying to get them to do to change. Right. Um, and, and you can't, 
you can't just do it as, as a team thing because everybody is different as far as what they want. You know, I had one, one girl who ate nothing but carbohydrates. I have, you know, one person that ate nothing that included carbohydrates, right? And then you've got all these people that don't eat, right? So it's, you, you can't, while you can give the same general information as far as here's this thing, here's its job, here's this thing, here's its job, you need to tailor the message to the person. And, and a lot of times, depending on the person, if they're sitting in a big audience, they're not going to hear what you're saying directly to them. Mm-hmm. And they're also going to be less likely to raise their hand and ask a question, especially early on in building this kind of uh, rapport and safety as a team, especially if it's, say, a team captain who mm-hmm. people look to for mm-hmm. guidance on and off the field. That person now doesn't want to say, hey, I don't understand what you're saying, right? Because they're looked to for answers, so they don't want to make it look like they don't have the answer. So kind of being available on, on, a, on a team setting scale, but then also on an individual, private, yeah. hey, you know what, this is between me and you and no one else kind of thing. Um, is is important, and I think we are doing a huge disservice to athletes not providing them with qualified individuals to be able to do that with. Yeah, I mean, I a hundred percent agree with you that the having like one person for all non revenue generating sports is. Yeah. I mean, to me, honestly, I think NCAA can afford it. I think it's, it's crock that like, it's a crock that like, you know, just because they're not bringing in money, like you're not going to give them the same service as like some other athlete. Um, cause I mean, at the end of the day, like money's coming to the school somehow yeah. because of that kid. Um, yeah. so yeah, I mean, and, and, and that's, I mean, I think personally, like, you know, I think it all starts you know, when we're young and when, mm-hmm. when we're, you know, in, in school and the environment that we're in as a young kid, you know, growing up, I mean, obviously, like you said, everybody's different. Um, you know, everybody comes from different backgrounds, you know, each background has their own way of eating and, you know, philosophy. I mean, I'm half Turkish. So like, you know, you go to the grandparents' house when you're young, it's like, they like, throw everything at you as far as food goes and you're just like yo pump the brakes a little bit like (laughs) (laughs) yeah like uh so you know um i think i think educating when they're young like anything else um i think will help them as they get older um it's just you know obviously the athletes are a little bit different because they're burning so many calories so like you know, you, you have no idea what their eating habits are until you get to college when you have that one-on-one conversation with them. And then they like realize like, damn, sometimes, and like, I'll be honest with you. Like I've seen athletes. They're like, wow. Like I wish I had known that when I was 12, 13 years old. Yeah. Yeah. And we've been very, um, fortunate. I'm sure, you know, you've seen Sean's presentations with, with what we've done with the team but we've been very fortunate to be able to have the monitoring system through Polar for them and be able to use that as an instructional piece as far as, Hey, look, you just expended this amount of energy. Mm. We need to put that back and we need to hurry up. And so some people are like really hesitant with that, you know, energy expenditure. Do we talk about that? It's calories and calories is a bad word. And, you know, my thing is, if we can explain it to them appropriately, yeah, we absolutely need yeah. to have that conversation. And what we were able to do is get to the point to where athletes would come over and they'd look at the, the iPad that Bridget had and say, okay, what I burn? Whew, that's going to be a lot of food. I said, absolutely. But that's where, like, we can get there. We just, it just takes a little time and yeah. we, we need to be able to have those conversations um, and, and slowly hopefully one person at a time, those athletes then like yourself can help educate the other athletes on the team. And once, you know, the other members see, Hey, this is our norm. Now, this is how we do things. We have our training, have our game, whatever. Here's our post-workout recovery nutrition. We just do that. So that's what we did. That was the lowest hanging fruit. It was provide them with post, post post-workout, post-game nutrition and boom, go. 
um, and, and that way kickstart the repair process and then really throw in the educational piece as far as hammering home what they need to do next. Yeah. We involve the parents because um, Rutgers, uh, especially women's soccer, their, their support structure from their parents is fantastic. So they would have, uh, like the parents would have tailgates, but then they would have a food and a cookout for the girls after the game. And so they would provide healthy things. Originally, it was like fruit and salad. And, and I'm like, I love you for doing that, but let's do this. So I actually provided them with some structure of, hey, here's what this type of food is. And here's why your daughter needs this. Here's why we need this. Here's why we need this. So they changed the structure of what they brought to better help their daughter and the other daughters recover after the game. And so that was a huge thing. Um, again, you know, NCAA, you know, s- school and team can only provide so much food for an athlete in and around game. If parents bring it, whatever, it's a whole yeah. different story. So just helping them to help the daughters best, um, and really trying to get more of that nutrition in and around that, uh, the, the game recovery piece, especially when we have the, that, that consolidated, uh, yeah. match schedule, which is just a whole different conversation. <laughs> um, but you know, it's one of those, we do the best we can do with what we have and, you know, knowing we can't change when games are, um, it's like, I tell them, I guarantee you the other team is not paying attention to this. Yeah. And at this level, everybody is good. So if you really want to be better, you have to pay attention to the other stuff. And, and so, so, so. question. So you know, obviously there's that little setup that you, that you've created around games. So what, what type of, uh, I mean, again, it could be meal plans, but like, I'm sure you don't use those. I'm sure you never gave a, an athlete a meal plan. So, you know, on a normal day, you know, go to school, wake up, go to class, go to practice, you know, like what's the, what's the setup for like a kid you know, or the girl like that, you know, is on their own and like mom and dad are not there on those game days. Like, are they, Yeah. are you, what kind of guidance do you provide them that helps them, you know, make sure they're hitting their numbers, hitting, you know, making sure the calorie count is up pre-practice after practice, just so like, it's not like fluctuating too much as the week goes along and they're kind of like not going to hit a wall. Like once the game comes. Right. And it, that, the one thing that you said that really is a challenge, especially for the younger athletes, is that mom and dad aren't there cooking your food for you, right? right? So they have to figure out how to navigate campus and dining hall right. to, to, to get the foods that they need. So no, I don't give a meal plan and I won't do that because it's not helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, so what we do, especially in our... Um, team conversation, but then also in our one-on-one conversation, but in the team conversations, it's about how do I build a meal? Mm. So like what blocks do I need in that thing, depending on where I am in the day? Mm. And okay, well, if I need higher energy carbohydrates around my training, well, what are higher energy carbohydrates? So there are these things. And I always ask them, can you think of something else? What do you like? So then they're already trying to process okay, thinking through the foods that I like to eat, what are the higher energy carbohydrates? Where can I find those? Okay, those go here in my day. What are the proteins? Which ones do I like? Where do I get those? And that's also something that we'll go over individually when, they, when they'll come into me is, okay, let's set up our day. You get up, do you run straight to class? Do you have a long break? What does your day look like? And then, okay, if we're going from get up straight through classes, straight to practice, how do we make sure we have stuff with us so that we can eat and then be ready? And it's, it's all about trying to tailor that to what their individual schedule is. Um, and and it's, it, it really comes down to their understanding of what those foods do. Like I said, the, the higher energy carbohydrates, lower energy carbohydrates, proteins and fats, and where those go in their day. So they learn how to build those meals wherever they are. Yeah. Um, and, and that's like, you know, one of the kids said to me, I said, so have you learned anything um, doing this? She said, yeah, I never, I never knew how to eat when I wasn't going to practice. 
right? So it was like, I knew I needed to do stuff around that, but I didn't know what to do the other times of the day. And if we don't know what to do the other times of the day, we're not going to be doing very well when we get to practice, yeah, exactly. right? So it's, it's really just building a structure for them to then fill the pieces in. Um, and it, it is a very, it is a very individual thing yeah. to then say, okay, Julian, you know, you're going to be, you know, all cylinders go from seven in the morning, you've got practice at one o'clock and then you go right back to class. So we've got to make sure you've got stuff in your bag with you. Um, and so that's where the, the dorm room survival guide kind of came in and, and, you know, we put things in different categories, higher energy carbohydrates, lower energy carbohydrates, proteins, and fats and things that didn't require refrigeration or things that would fit very easily in a dorm room refrigerator or something like that um, so that they would know, you know, how best to, to, to try to attack this thing. Um, and, and some of it was also, okay, let's pull up the, uh, the menu of your dining hall because they had, Rutgers had a really great website where they would they had all of the different um, food options that were going to be at this dining hall or that dining hall during the week. And you could click those foods and it would tell you how much protein, carbohydrate, and fat. And, you know, not that we wanted to get bogged down in numbers because I don't want people just sitting there counting things. But it was, it was an awareness about I need to get about this much around this time and kind of go from there. So they were able to kind of use that piece to also navigate did I want to go to this dining hall? I'm going to be near this one. What can I get there? Um, because a lot of them don't have any idea. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, that's, that's, that's so true. Um, a lot of them just kind of eat whatever mm-hmm. is good. Uh, Cause yeah. I used to watch it all the time. Like uh, when I was, you know, playing and you go to eat with the kids, they just kind of ate whatever looked great. Yep. Like, yep. and you, and you're just like, I don't know if that's really what you want to eat right now. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so even on the road, so the, the gonna, yeah, like how, how do you, how do you guys like, you know, tackle yeah. that situation? Cause obviously, you know, I, I know exactly where you're probably you're thinking it's like, yo, we would go to these random restaurants. Um, yes and no. So okay. I am very, very fortunate. Okay. That the coaching staff of the Rutgers women's soccer, soccer team is 1,000% on board okay. with doing everything they can to support their, their athlete as a human being on a health and you know, wellness perspective. So they would, ahead of time, hey, we've got, we're playing Ohio State, you know, whatever, we're traveling there. Here's a bunch of restaurants that are going to be around this area. Which ones do you think we should look at? And so we would, ahead of time, look at the menus from, from the restaurants. We would have things uh, picked out ahead of time for delivery to hotel. Um, and, and, you know, the kids could, could pick what they wanted, but then you're guiding their choices a little bit with the restaurant that you're, you're choosing. And, and the kids, too, they would come to me, oh, Michelle, I really want ribs. And I'm like, okay, maybe not the best option for this meal. What's your second choice? Steak. I'm like, that's fantastic. Let's go with that. We'll do the ribs a different time, right? And so it's not, it's also having them understand I'm not the food police. I'm here for you. I want you to have what you want, but we also want you to perform well. So let's make a deal here. Let's do this one over here and then this thing over here. Um, So on the road was honestly a little bit easier sometimes than at home. Also because you're on the road, the team can provide the meals more so than if you're at home. So if you're at home, you get that like one pregame meal or one postgame meal, whatever it's going to be, or, you know, both of those things. But that's two meals versus if you're on the road, it's all the meals. Yeah. Right. Or even if they have meal money, you know, that might be used, you know, a couple of times, but, but you're able to help them make better choices more often. Um, And, and we did, you know, how to, how to survive the airport, you know, presentations and yeah. all of those things because nobody thinks about talking about it. And then you're like, oh, wow, you just got stuck in the airport for an hour. You sat on board a plane on the tarmac because, you know, it's New Jersey and, you know, flights are never on time. And then you <laughs> got stuck in this and you've had 12 ounces of water in the last eight hours, right? Like you can't do that. So you've got to have the conversations about 
bring your bottle, fill it up, do this thing. And, and like all of those little things that, um, that we might take for granted as, hey, I need to make sure I do that. Um, but now it's almost like you're the parent of 32 kids and you need to say that. Yeah. So before you, before you like, you know, start helping them, like, where were they? Like, was it, I, I don't, re- I don't, re- I mean, I'll be honest with you. I don't really pay that much attention <laughs> to women's soccer. Uh, um, <clears throat> I mean, except for the end of like, yeah. obviously I pay attention to the NWSL only because I, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I used to, do you know Crystal Dunn? I know the name, but I don't know her. Yeah, yeah, she's the like left you basically utility. She played everywhere. Anyway, so when she was at NW, uh, the Washington Spirit, they bought she bought a house here with her current now husband, and he was like one of our friends. So like I moved into it like when they left. But anyways, um, my question is like like where were they? And like I just kind of want to see the influence of like how much nutrition impact like. Yeah, it's mean, a college soccer. Like if you're, if you're playing D one, like the, the, and I'm, I'm going to be sort of the pro on this. Like if you need a lot of foundational work, like you probably shouldn't be playing D one soccer, but anyways, so like, I think all the other little things like the nutrition, yeah. uh, yeah. lifestyle habits, those things that probably you influenced, um, probably made the biggest impact on where they got once you you and Sean pretty much like t- kind of took over. So like, what was the, how much of that of your influence impacted to like where they were? Obviously I know you're not there now, but like before you left. Yeah. So as far as like measurables, I mean, they were always a top 25 team. Um, you know, when, when he started working with them, they had five times national average of ACL injuries. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, so that was, impacted pretty quickly with some changes to strength and conditioning. I wasn't there at the time. So it was just, it was through athletics um, and just adding some strength training because that was not something that was included. Um, It was more of an optional piece and there was no periodization to it. Um, So that changed quickly. The implementation of the monitoring changed. um, That helped tremendously. Um, Not only with the coaching staff understanding like you said with the kids though, you can't go hard every day, but like coaches don't understand that. Yes. So coaches coach sport. They don't necessarily have an exercise physiology background or interest and don't know best how to manipulate those pieces to get the best thing out. Um, it's a lot of times just looked at go hard all the time and, and you know, yeah. Well, that's, that's um, a huge problem in soccer. Period. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, but we had, we had, you know, you get your, your sickness, you get your whatever, you get your star left back that decides to go vegan and doesn't tell anyone. And then, you know, their iron is dropping. So I think, honestly, one of the biggest things that helped was um, the partnership that Sean built with Quest Diagnostics and their blueprint for athletes. Okay. So doing blood draws okay. um, and looking at the impact on the biomarker. So you'll see those changes internally before you'll see them outside, right? Um, So we were able to kind of guide some changes with nutrition and then also with training to head off some more, what could have been more serious issues. Um, I think having that piece helped us to educate the kids and the coaches as well um, because they could see the impact of the changes. Um, you know, when it comes down to what impact did we have on them, you know, it's, it, uh, was one of the things that, that one of the girls said, um, when we had the conversation to let them know that we were leaving and that was really hard. Um, but like one of the girls said was just like, thank you so much. We cannot tell you how much you helped us to learn about our bodies. Right. And so that is like, oh, my God, it makes me want to cry. And yes, thank you. That's why I do this. Because if they can understand how this stuff impacts their bodies and how they can kind of take ownership of those pieces Mm -hmm. to keep themselves healthy and performing well, that's the name of the game. So like Mm -hmm. that's that's it in a nutshell kind of thing. 
Um, and, and it was it's just little things, little conversations about how to, you know, the post-workout, post-training, post-game nutrition. And it was get it in your mouth now. Okay, here's what you do next. Okay, here's what you do next. And having them see and feel the difference in how they felt when they were able to perform well. Uh, we also tweaked in-game nutrition, um, making sure that they had uh, carbohydrate availability um, because, you know, we may have tied the NCAA double record for number of overtime games in a year at <clears throat> 11. Um, and, and to be able to, to play that many minutes repeatedly yeah. without injury says a lot. Yeah, no, that does. So that's huge. What, um, so like, okay. So you brought up a quest, like something I've been thinking about. So you said that you developed a relationship with quest diagnostics. So obviously question is what, like besides blood work, like what other sort of tests did you guys, did you do? Was there like any yep. type of bod pods and body composition? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was there a resting metabolic rate? Um, and like when it comes to the blood test, like what, what are you guys looking, what test or what do you look, what exactly are you looking at? Are you looking at like vitamins? Um, yeah, sure. Like that? So we, we had, um, part of their, uh, testing protocol just as a team, um, was conducted four times a year. Um, and it consisted of body composition, um, VO2 and vertical jump. Um, when I came on board, we added in strength training or sorry, strength testing. Um, that's something that they may or may not have done with athletics. I'm not sure. Um, but what we were able to do then is give that information to the athlete as their own progress report, basically. So now we've got testing. Uh, let's say we've got preseason testing. You've got immediately postseason testing. You've got testing in January-ish when they come back, and you've got testing in the spring. So that helps me as a strength and conditioning person to also program their training specific to them throughout the year based on where they are. Um, we we can, can monitor any changes in body composition to also then say, okay, we may or may not be recovering appropriately. And that's how we kind of um, have that conversation with them because you're not really allowed to, at least Rutgers, you, know, you can't tell them what their body fat is, you can't communicate that to coaches and all of those sensitive things. But we just let them know, hey, we're looking at lean muscle mass. I need to make sure you're not losing muscle. Muscle is your power. We need to make sure that we keep that so that you're powerful through the season so that you're not getting injured and all of these things. And again, it goes back to building a good relationship with that thing, right? So that like, like the food and the exercise, also the body composition, it's, it's not a bad thing. It's, it's, it's muscle. We got to look at that um, so that we can see changes over time. So those four point time points over the year, but then over the course of four years. Yeah. So we can see, is that athlete doing this? Are we going this way with things? And, and when we started, um, when I started on board with them with the, um, the strength testing was probably one of the first times over an entire year that we were able to see improvements and then kind of maintain that improvement and keep getting better. All of those time points versus come in at a certain marker preseason, get better in certain things. And then after the season, come back down. And then, and then in spring, you're just trying to get back to where you were in, in season and then summer. And so it was a lot of this versus we're going here. And so we were able to use that information to show them, here's where you are. When you come back, I'd like you to be here. Here's, here's this, here's that. So that they could also see and tie together the improvements and changes that they're making in their training and their nutrition with the outcome and the performance. And we also had, we had, um, you know, 40, we did 40 time. We had, you know, 20 splits. We had T-tests. We did other um, pieces in that as well. But um, the, the big pieces that had been there since the beginning with Sean eight plus years ago um, was a vertical jump in VO2. Eventually the body comp was able to be added in yeah. and then strength testing. Did you guys provide like summer <clears throat> packet or was yeah. it kind of like you're on your own type thing? If you have like available or if you have access to a gym, like a private gym. No, we had, we had packets and that was something that I spent a lot of time working on for each individual person. Um, and what we did was also 
came up with a score for each athlete based on a bunch of different markers. So based on strength, based on uh, nutrition, based on uh, VO2, based on technical and tactical and all of these things. So some of the coaches weighed in on, you know, some yeah. of those pieces as well, because I'm not going to rate your technical or tactical ability within the team. Um, and, and we came up with this schematic for them. Some things were green, some were yellow, some were red, so that they understood, okay, to be this whole big, fantastic athlete, I need to work on these red things. These green ones are fantastic. I need to maintain those so I don't want those to drop, but I need to focus my attention this summer on these three things. And here's how I'm going to do that. So they had their plan. Each individual person had a schedule of here are the days I'm going to do this thing. You know, I've got strength training on this many days and speed training on these days. And yeah, we, we put together a, a really impressive packet yeah. for, for that. And um, I feel like if, if people aren't doing that, um, they're leaving the door open for, for a lot of loss and improvement, but also potential injury when, when the kids return. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a little, I, I mean, obviously every, every college is different. Um, you know, I, obviously I'm in the private you know, yeah. center and I work with kids that come home and it's, it's still, it's quite mind boggling that you hear coaches, strength coaches, um, either like th this is a two scenario. It's like, they don't give them anything or it's like, they just give them something very like generic. They're like, Hey, do this. You know, this is where you, and, and like some of the stuff I've seen like 10 years ago, I'm like, yeah, dude, this guy is like, he definitely yeah. went online and like <laughs> found it and just copied yeah. and pasted it. Um, and it's still, and I, I personally think that it's very important, like your scenario where the coach of the soccer team has an input. Yeah. Um, I understand that many of them don't know the, the physiological aspects of it, but it's okay to say, Hey, this coach, this kid plays wing. He runs all day. Like his workout might be totally different than a defender or a forward or a midfielder that, yeah, like the, the amount of running a center midfielder versus a wing, it's a little bit different, but it's not, a, it's way different than like a forward and a defender where like, you're periodically sprinting. And yeah. And it also depends like, on how the coach plays the team. Exactly. Yeah. And so that was something, um, again, that coaching staff was outstanding. And like, yeah. and Mike O'Neill would tell you, he goes, I don't know this stuff. So I surround myself with people who do. Mm. And so if he had a question or something, he would ask us. And sometimes he'd still get that coach like, and we'd say, okay, back up. Let's think about that for a second. What do we want to accomplish? How do we best do that? And so we, we would have meetings with them, uh, make sure that we're all on board, make sure that we're giving the same message to the athletes, yeah. you know, a united front kind of thing. And um, I tell you, we would not be able, or we would not have been able to do what we did with the impact that we did if it were not for the coaching staff. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I think it's, I think that's one of the, the, the problems, um, you know, I'm, I'm around soccer like 24 seven. So I think it's still a problem at all levels in this country. Um, it might be a little different at the pro level. Um, <clears throat> but it's especially an issue at the youth level. Mm -hmm. Um, slowly getting better. Um, but it's going to take time. It's just understanding the, like the demands of the sport. It's mm -hmm. totally different than it used to be where significantly faster we have research that says it um and so <clears throat> you know you got to be able to adapt and a lot of youth coaches don't want to do that um and that's one of the reasons why i'm like like the soccer sig it's like trying to connect the the coaching ma mainly of the youth to understand that like you guys gotta like you guys gotta like trust what we're yeah. saying to you you can't think like this is nine, like 1994 world cup where like, you know, or whatever, where you can just run all day and then have practice and then do that five, six days a week. It's not going to work. Right. Um, especially with like the kids, the demand of like a youth kid's life these days, it's like yep. a whole nother, yep. <laughs> a whole nother ball game. Yep. Yep. So what, so what do you, so what are you into now? Like, I know you guys moved, um, 
totally relocated, obviously back to where you, where you started your schooling. Um, yep. What are you guys into now? So Sean is actually the d- new department chair for exercise science here okay. at university. It's uh, the number one program in the nation. So that's kind of exciting and fantastic. Um, I am actually kind of back to, I don't want to say my roots, but my schooling, um, health promotion and education. I'm actually working in that department with Dr. Daniela Friedman. She is the department chair over there and working on a health literacy, uh, initiative that she was grant funded. So it's, um, it's a little different, but a little bit of the same as far as getting people to understand or be able to understand the message they need to understand. Um, so when they go to the physician, um, having them be comfortable having that conversation with the physician, asking questions, and just making sure that they understand what they need to do for their health. So, you know, it's the same kind of thing, just in different Just place. in different demographics. Have, I yep. mean, I'm sure a lot of the people that you're probably not selling to, but educating uh, are more, you know, p- post-college or older, or is it still like pediatric kids too? So right now uh, we're kind of, we're kind of in the midst of our initiative. We were about to kind of jump to do something and then COVID. So uh, we're kind of on hold with some of that um, and working with the, the clinics. And so uh, across the state, so di- different clinics will have different uh, kind of target populations. Mm-hmm. Um, so it could be a pediatric, it could be, um, you know, a free clinic, it could be cancer center. Uh, so populations of all ages, honestly, uh, and just figuring out how best to have them understand what are some important questions they can ask when they go to their doctor's appointment or when they go to the pharmacy or something like that, just to make sure they understand why they need to do what it is somebody's asking them to do. Okay, I understand. So are these, uh, so are you educating, I'm assuming physicians, or are you educating both the physician and the obviously patient. Right. So this, this program is targeted towards improving that patient provider communication. So some of it is with the provider and having them in the conversation that they have with their patient, try to target those three things that we're looking for. What, what's my problem? What do I need to do about it? Why do I need to do that? So when they're explaining it, kind of hit those bullet points, but then also uh, try to have them understand that they need to use more kind of plain language. So like, for instance, when you're having a conversation with little Billy's mom about why he needs to have carbohydrates, you're not going to be talking about exogenous carbohydrate oxidation, right? I mean, you're not going to do that because she's going to say, I'm not even listening to you. So it's about (laughs) using words that they can understand. And, And so just having the conversation with the physicians and the other care team support staff, um, that words that we, we take for granted, somebody else might not understand yeah. and they're not going to be likely to ask you, Hey, what does that mean? Because they feel like they should already know what it means. Mm. Um, so kind of that side and, and, and really just understanding that improving somebody's health literacy is not just the onus on one person. It takes the team just kind of like for us to have conversations with the youth athlete or the collegiate athlete, it's not just me spewing information. I've got to say it in a way that connects with them so they can understand it. And then we need to have this relationship so that we can move forward. It's the same, same thing. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. yeah. I think that's, I think, I think that's exactly one of the biggest problems just in society in general. Uh, Cause you know, I don't, I obviously I don't work with just the athletes. I work with gen pop people too on a probably more than the athletes. Um, just cause the athlete stuff is like year. It's, seasonal um and just having conversations with them to understand like you know the process of like you know they have they either have to eat or like a lot of people just like don't eat and then they wonder why they're not losing weight or they just like don't realize they eat so much because like you know, I, I think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. I think the biggest thing for like some people weight loss, like wanting to lose weight is like visualizing like what they eat. So like using some type of, you know, calorie or like food journal type thing and seeing like, okay, like I ate this, I, oh, wow. Like I ate a ton of food today. Like maybe, and then you can kind of visualize it versus just like thinking, okay, 
let me see what I ate today. Yeah, I don't want to count that because like, I don't think it was a lot. Like, I think a lot of that goes through a lot of people's heads too. And they just like disregard like that little like bite that they ate of something. Yeah, it's an awareness issue. Mm -hmm. And so um, for people that have, say, tracked food, food log for a long time, Mm -hmm. their awareness on a daily basis might be a different place than somebody that's never even tried to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and, and I, I, again, I'm not a big, like, got to count everything, got to do this, but we also have to have an awareness. So there may be a time and a place that we might have to do that once in a while, again, just so you can be aware. Oh, wow. I ate 12 hours straight today. Um, (laughs) Or, Hey, I didn't eat enough. Uh, It just, without that data, you can't say one way or another. And yeah. so without that data, you don't know how to change what you're doing. And, and that's, that's kind of how I try to explain it to folks. It's not, hey, that you're going to have to log your food for the rest of your life, but we just need to know what's going on. Otherwise, we don't know what to change. So, so real quick, last question, like talking about under eating, like what's like, obviously you're, well, I guess it could be two different scenarios, like a skinny person that might be under eating versus like somebody who's like obese and like under eating. And like, yeah. like, is that ever happen, Or is it just like, yeah. I'm thinking of something that's probably never happened. Can you hear my dog snoring? That's so <laughs> yeah, I heard that. She's awful. <laughs> that is not me. That is her. She's snoring. Anyway. Um, so are you asking, is there an over, so like, what's the process of, okay. So some people like you hear you and you, you know, probably more than I do. So you under eat mm-hmm. two weeks, like some, some people are like, yo, I only eat once, once a day. I'm like, yo, that's crazy. But okay. Um, I don't know how you do that. <laughs> um, and then they're like either tired or like, they're not losing weight. What's what do you feel like is the explanation there? Uh, that's a, they, they're not eating enough. I mean, so do you um, think the body's conserving some type of like, or figuring out a way to like stay alive and like conserving fat, even though they might be working out or whatever, or like, is it just not just an under eating period? Yeah. So there are a lot of changes that will go on if somebody is under fueling for, especially for a prolonged period of time. I mean, heck, you can get even some of those changes in a very short period of time. I think it was, uh, was it Craig Sale and those guys that had um, even three days of, um, was it, uh, three days of low energy availability or three days of low carbohydrate availability. I forget which it was, um, showed, um, negative impact on bone health. Okay. Wow. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, you get, you get a lot of changes that happen that we don't necessarily know happen. Um, and a lot of times we don't see those on the outside or something terrible doesn't happen on the outside until it's been going on for a long period of time. Um, And so it's a challenge to try to explain to someone that, yes, you may need to have a caloric deficit to lose weight or lose, when I say lose weight, I mean lose body fat, right? Because you Mm -hmm. can cut your arm off and lose weight, but it's not really what we're looking for. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And yeah, you need to have some kind of caloric deficit, but it doesn't need to come via a huge energy restriction and huge energy expenditure. There are ways that you can just even change the kinds of food that you're eating and how it's prepared to cause those things to happen. And oh, by the way, we want a small window, not a huge deficit because a huge deficit, mm, yeah, you're going to cause a downregulation in, in, you know, metabolism and things uh-huh. like that. And, yeah. and, you know, mm-hmm. hormonal dysregulation um, and a lot of other not so fantastic things. So um, it's kind of a delicate balance of things. Yeah. And I, I think having that explanation with them or that conversation and being able to explain that, is a challenge simply because for so long, all we were ever taught is calories in, calories out. So if I want to have weight loss, I make a big deficit. And okay. I mean, yeah, except for the fact that when you say that, as scientists, we understand that a lot of other stuff goes along with that. There's a lot of baggage when you do that. Mm -hmm media and other people don't understand that, right? 
So if we're just talking plain and simple weight loss, yes, make a big hole, go for it. But when we're talking long term, yeah, but we're more also talking people. Hey, like I like people. I want them to be successful and have not not have bad outcomes from this thing. So let's try not to do that. Let's do it a different way. And like, but this works. Yeah, but you get a lot of bad stuff that happens. So how about we just try it this way? And then you can feel great, you can perform well, and you can look fantastic. And so why not try it this way? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's it's a lot of um, uh, conversations that need to be had and rapport that needs to be built and a little bit of trust me a little bit. And then when somebody starts to see a little bit of success with that piece, then a lot of times they'll give, they'll give in a little bit more and like, okay, well, I trust you. I tried that. I saw some good things happening and okay, I'm willing to try it some more. So it's, it's, um, yeah, that's a, it's a big, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a tough conversation. Plus it's like a lot can go into it. Like you're saying, as far as like, you know, I think it's food choices are huge. Um, and because that can cause a deficit and you still feel and look great. And, um, you know, and, you know, like you said, like it can't be a long-term calorie deficit. Like it, it just, like you yeah. said, going to cause like two, like a, a huge amount of issues internally. Um, and, and I, sometimes like, I think a lot of people get discouraged because like trainers, some trainers or things that they see online, they just like, it, it gets like thrown at them. And then they're like, Oh my God, like, so many different things are going on and they don't know what to choose from. So they forget, they're like, forget it. I don't want this anymore. Like it's too much work instead of it's like, it really, it's really a couple of simple things that can change your body like dramatically too. Yeah. Honestly, um, the same kind of educational tools that I use with athletes, I use with general population folks. Um, again, they have to understand the difference between protein, carbohydrates, and fat. They've got to understand what their jobs are, how they can put them to work for them. Um, it's not a fight against food. It's how you make it work for you. Um, and here's how we do that. And, and kind of having those conversations and the same thing about basic exercise physiology. Like, okay, you want to exercise intensely. Here's how that happens. Here's yeah. the fuels for that. So you can fight it all you want, but that's biochemistry and <laughs> like, yeah, you can't you're right. change it. I mean, it's true. Right? right. So it's about having those conversations and being able to explain it in a way that they understand it and can apply it to what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's when you start to, to have that breakthrough. Um, and it's, it's, it can't be about just here, hand someone a meal plan because it doesn't educate them on why they need to do those things um, and what to do when those foods aren't available. Yeah, especially yeah. with Gem Pop where, you know, a, a day you, you, you have the thought like, oh, I'm going to work out today. And like the world ends that day because something at work happens, kids, like whatever. Yeah. And then you don't work out. And so like they have this thought like they're going to do this. But then, you know, it's obviously it's different than athlete because, you know, like you're going to practice, you're going to class, boom, boom, boom. Um, yeah. So, well, look, I appreciate you. uh hopping on here with me. Um, yeah, absolutely. Always great to pick brains and learn from other people that have way more experience. Um, so I, I like to just kind of tell people where they can find more information about you, like obviously social media. Um, if you have any like other places that, you know, people can connect with you and, you know, if they have questions or whatever. So yeah. Yeah. My social media, uh, my Twitter and my um, Instagram are runner girl Adams. Runner, girl, Adams. Okay. Yep. Um, I am on Facebook, Michelle Arndt. Um, our yeah. website. Yeah, we're redoing our website, so I don't okay. have that information. I'll just put. I'll put your social yep. media. It'd probably, be, they can find you, and if they have other questions, they can reach out. Um, yeah, absolutely. Cool. I might have to pick your brain again. On, I'm here for you. <laughs> on so- on on strength and conditioning with, for soccer for the girl because women, because it's totally different than guys. Um, because, you know, obviously the level of intensity of the game is totally different. Um, but it's still important to me. I think it's really important. I think, 
um, especially for the younger girls, because I'm sure you've probably had girls come in from that are freshmen, had zero strength conditioning when they were younger. And it's a big problem. It's yeah. a big, it, it poses a big problem. That's why we actually worked with um, the Development Academy um, and had a lot of the girls and guys in and, and really just trying to get, especially the girls, comfortable in the weight room yeah. and understanding the positive impact it can have and, and getting yeah. them used to some of the things they're going to need to be doing when they move to the next level. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. a whole other conversation. We can we talk about that yeah. later. Cool. Yeah, good stuff. Um, yeah, good stuff. Thank you, Michelle. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Train to Perform with Julian Sisman. Learn how you can work with Julian in a personal training session, either online or in person at prepareforperformance.com. And follow on social media for more tips on training, fitness, and sports performance on Twitter at jsisman_pfp underscore PFP and Instagram at prepareforperformance.